Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ernest, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. In this episode, we're talking about one of the most popular winter recreation destinations in Oregon and how it became a reality thanks to an amputee from Salem with a love for snowmobiling. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, David, in this episode, we are going to talk about one of my favorite places to go in the winter, Ray Benson Snow Park up on Sanium Pass. Home to almost 70 miles of cross-country, snowshoeing, and snowmobiling trails, and three backcountry warming huts with amazing views of Mount Washington and Three Finger Jack, Ray Benson, it's, it's just a mecca for recreation in the winter. It really has everything you'd want. But almost more interesting than the destination itself is the origin story of how it came together. We'll do all the details just a bit later, but the namesake behind the snow park was a double amputee who owned an auto business in Salem and loved a snowmobile. He and his group of friends would eventually play a key role in creating the entire Oregon snow park system. Before we drill down into the best places to explore and history you referenced, let's talk about the location and how to plan a trip there. Ray Benson is right at the top of Saniam Pass, next to Hoodoo Ski Area. It's about 90 minutes from Salem and about half an hour from Sisters. So Zach, go ahead and get us started. What can you do at Ray Benson? What kind of person is going to travel out there? Right, so first of all, Ray Benson is decidedly a multi-use destination. So snowmobiles, very popular here. And as you'll hear in the origin story, they're responsible for making this place happen originally. The other two main activities and the ones we're going to talk the most about are cross-country skiing and snowshoeing. Skiing is probably a little bit more popular, but the number of snowshoers has definitely increased as more people have come over the hill from the Bend area. And look, it's easy to see why. The scenery and trails in this area, are, they're really second to none for the Sanium Pass area. The good news is that even though it's popular, there is more than enough trails here for everybody. A key element to visiting any Oregon snow park is getting a permit. You can buy one online through the Oregon DMV or buy them at a local ski shop. They're $25 for the whole season, which is a pretty good deal. You can also get a three-day pass or a one-day pass. So you mentioned this area gets pretty popular on weekends. What should you know about planning a trip out there to sort of avoid a bad experience? Yeah, I mean, Sanium Pass, it's not as busy as Mount Hood or the Cascade Lakes area outside Bend, but it does get very busy on nice weekends in the winter. The other weekend, I was up there on this, you know, perfect bluebird Saturday, and there was just a total circus of cars lined up on Highway 20 trying to turn onto the road that leads to both Hoodoo and Ray Benson. It, it gets so crowded that cars start parking in bad places, which blocks in trailers, and then we're off to the races. Like, there's just a giant cluster. Fights have actually broken out up there. Like, it's, it's no joke. So I implore you, if you value your sanity, to arrive as early as possible or come midweek. For me personally, I mean, I leave the house so early that I try to arrive at sunrise. It just improves the experience so very much. Plus, you get to witness the sunrise right on top of the pass. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, and the cool thing about Ray Benson, too, is that 
you get there at sunrise, there's views of Three Finger Jack from the parking lot. So you start at the good stuff. Like, you don't have to work that hard to get there. Right out of the gate. Yeah. All right. So we talked about planning for winter recreation in the backcountry before in the podcast. But what are some key elements? You know, I just go ahead and Google search winter tent essentials. Also, when you get to Ray Benson, they have a list of suggested things to bring into the backcountry. For new visitors, Ray Benson is incredibly well-marked. It's one of, one of my favorite things about it. The trails have very large blue signs at all the junctions. There's maps there in a lot of cases. But still important to, to understand the route you're going to take, be prepared with a shovel, matches, all those kind of good stuff, sunglasses, etc. All right, coming up next, we're going to jump into the best routes and destinations at Ray Benson. We're going to focus on the Nordic skiing and snowshoeing routes because that's what we know best. But as mentioned, it's also a fantastic snowmobile hub as well, and we'll have a story about that in the second half. All right, before we dive into it, Zach, you've been writing a lot about Ray Benson this year. I think we've run at least three stories so far. So why did it grab so much attention this winter? Well, I've always done some cross-country skiing over the years. Usually went once or twice per season, but... With this year's pandemic, I decided Nordic skiing was just the ideal way to social distance. You know, for me, cross-country skiing is just more fun, more challenging than snowshoeing, if I can make it happen. But it's also way cheaper than downhill skiing. Like, I got new cross-country skis, new boots a few years ago for something like 250 bucks, And with a snowpark permit, I'm set for years. You know, that's all you need. Compare that to downhill at like Mount Bachelor, where you're paying $100 per lift ticket for a single day, not including rentals or anything. And you'll understand why cross-country skiing, it's so appealing to a not particularly <laughs> wealthy journalist like me. So to be clear, I love snowshoeing and downhill skiing, but this particular year, it was just, this is, this is my jam. This is what I'm going to try to get into. So why did you pick Ray Benson exactly? There's a number of snow parks, you know, on the way up there on Sandy Ann Pass and Willamette Pass. Mount Hood has a bunch of Nordic trails. Yeah. So why Ray Benson? So I'd say three big reasons. Snow quality, trail length, and scenery. So Ray Benson is at the highest location on San Ian Pass, so it is the best quality snow that's easily reachable in the Central Cascades. And the routes, they're just far superior to anything else I've, I've tried. You can put together multiple six- to eight-mile tours and get different views and different experiences on different trips so it doesn't feel like doing the same thing over and over. There's three snow shelters that are also great in the backcountry that are placed strategically on the route. So, you know, you can get out there, ski three miles, rest, relax, have some food, and then keep going. And that's, that's really nice. And then the scenery. I mean, you've got Mount Washington, Three Finger Jack, uh, Hayrick Butte, Black Butte. Like, there's just good scenery all over the place because this is a beautiful part of Oregon. And those views start right away. You don't have to travel far. So what have been your favorite routes so far? When you get there, what kind of choices are you going to make as far as getting out there? Yeah, so if you've never been to a snow park before, there's not that much going on. You drive into a large parking lot that's been plowed, and from there you kind of have to choose your own adventure, figure out what comes next. So at Ray Benson for skiing and snowshoeing, there are kind of two main areas, and that is the north and south loop. Each has variations that can make it longer or shorter, but those are kind of the two lodestones of each area. I started on the South Loop, which is somewhat easier of the two. The South Loop travels six miles to Brandenburg Shelter, which is right at the three-mile mark and makes for that nice lunch stop. The North Loop 
is a bit steeper, uh, a bit more challenging. If you're on skis, there's more rolling hills and stuff like that. And then it's got North Blowout Shelter. Overall, my favorite routes are ones that actually can combine these two areas. And there's a million options. It would take me forever to, to mention all of them. But I'm generally targeting it seven to eight miles, which for me is about perfect. You know, it makes a good day. You're out there for three or four hours. And the combinations of different things you can put together is what, for me, makes it so special. So the snow shelters seem to be a pretty big draw there. Can you give us a sense of what these shelters bring to the table? Yeah, the snow shelters are the thing that ties everything together. On pretty much every route, you've got that option to stop at at least one of them. So all three of the shelters, and they are Brandenburg, North, North Blowout, and Island Junction, they're all pretty similar. They've got the cast iron fireplace, uh, firewood. There's two little benches there. They're very simple, very Spartan, but they have you know knockout views of Washington or Jack or, in some cases, both. And it just feels so good to be, you know, you're skiing through there, starting to get a little bit tired. And then you come across this little wooden hut out there. It's just, it's so inviting. You can sit down, relax, you know, have a sandwich and just, just kind of recharge. So do you have a favorite trailside snack of choice when you're out there cross-country skiing? I feel like I'm super simple in this regard. Like my typical standby is two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches <laughs> with an apple and a cookie of some kind. Like... I feel like that's like the most simple, boring answer ever. Um, I'm really intrigued by people who've told me that the best refueling lunch is actually a bean and cheese burrito from Taco <laughs> Bell. Like they keep it nice and warm and like double foil somehow. That sounds really weird to me, uh, but apparently it has a ton of calories, goes down well. So I, I want to try that sometime. Does that sound good to you? Like fast food in the middle of a trail? I'm really not super convinced that the idea of combining uh, strenuous activity and Taco Bell products that just seems like a recipe for disaster. But, hey, if people say it works, whatever. One thing that I did want to mention about the shelters is that in the past we've talked about spending nights in them, and that is possible in some locations. But at Ray Benson generally and across Deschutes National Forest in particular, you're not allowed to spend a night inside the snow shelters. They just found it got too crowded. There was too many issues that came with it. I know that some people camp in like a certain distance, snow camp, a certain distance away from them and maybe use that area to warm up. But for now, you can't sleep in them. So how much experience do you need to kind of get out on the trail here? Is it going to be intimidating for beginners? Well, if you're snowshoeing, the answer is really no. You know, the routes are so well marked that you're probably not going to get lost. And there's really not, you know, the steepness or exposure that can be concerning if you're in snowshoes. Now, if you're cross-country skiing, it's this probably shouldn't be your literal, like, first time ever on skis. Uh, you know, figure out what you're doing first. But there are plenty of trails here classified as, as easy. And generally, if you know how to fall on your butt, like, if you're going down a hill and you just know how to fall, it, you know, there's, it's, it's pretty doable. Do look at the map, though, you know, see the difference in the difficulty levels, because that's an important one. And there's also group outings. Um, you can join any number of groups from the Oregon Nordic Club to the Schmeckadens in Salem. Always best to go with, uh, you know, an organized group that first time, especially. All right. So we got plenty trail, expansive mountain views, plenty of good snow in good condition. Anything else you want to highlight before we get into the history? Well, one of my favorite places to ski out there is the North Loop which is a little faster, a little bit more challenging, like I talked about. But it also travels into the scar of the B&B &B complex fire. And this was a gigantic wildfire that burned here in 2003. 
before this year and the Labor Day fires, B&B was really considered the, the major modern wildfire in the Central Cascades and maybe in all of Northern Oregon. It was a, it was a big deal. I wrote a long story about it a few years ago, but it actually exploded during a visit from former President George W. Bush, who went out in the field and, and saw the fire up close. The fire burned almost 90,000 acres, and when you drive Sanium Pass and you look out and see all those dead trees, that's the B&B scar that you're looking at. So the North Loop is fun, you know, it takes you out into this land where you've got old dead snags, it's pretty open, big mountain views there. But you also have this cool little dwarf forest, uh, these trees that are regrowing in the past 10 to 15 years. And you kind of feel like a a giant skiing through, you know, these trees that come up to your knees or up to your waist. And, um, you know, the original North Blowout Shelter burned down in that first fire, but was rebuilt pretty quickly. So I don't know. It's just a cool place to see the look. These fires impact our forest. They look a lot different, but, you know, eventually they come back. They look different and interesting, and, you know, it's, you can still use them. Here's life after fires. Exactly. All right, that's a pretty good primer on all the cool stuff you can experience out on the trail at Ray Benson. When we come back, we'll have the story of the actual Ray Benson, the man behind the name. He made a big difference for winter recreation in Oregon despite not having use of his legs. The following message is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council. Did you know healthy, managed forests provide benefits for all forest users? Science-based forestry provides habitat for many wildlife species, such as elk and deer, filters pollutants from our water and air, supports outdoor recreation, and provides renewable wood products and good-paying jobs. AFRC stands for Sustainable Forests and Healthy Communities. Learn more at amforest.org. All right, welcome back. One of the themes of this podcast is not just talk about the amazing places you can travel to in Oregon and what to do there, but also kind of getting into the backstory, how a place like Ray Benson came to become this mecca for winter recreation. Right, so I've been writing a collection of stories about rediscovering cross-country skiing, primarily at Ray Benson, but I never knew who that name referred to or what Ray Benson the man actually did to become the namesake of the snow park. And the answer turned out to be a lot more interesting than I ever could have expected. So the story actually begins in the early 1970s with one of Oregon's legendary politicians, Norma Paulus. She was a trailblazing Republican in Oregon who was also one of the state's early environmental champions. In our last episode about Tillamook County, we referenced the fact that there was almost a nuclear power plant built at Cape Kiwanda on the Oregon coast. Well, Paulus was one of the big reasons it never happened. She recently passed away, but was a giant in Oregon politics and left behind a big legacy. But in the early 1970, Paulus introduced legislation to either ban or severely limit the use of snowmobiles in the backcountry and in general across Oregon. In response, a group of folks that loved snowmobiling, which was still kind of a new thing in the 1960s and 70s, they met up in Salem at a place called Benson's Automatic Transmission Specialties to plan opposition to these bills. The owner of that establishment was, of course, Ray Benson himself. I just talked to his son, Gene, on the phone the other day, and he told me that his dad was an amputee um, and eventually lost both of his legs due to diabetes. But he was still a very energetic, adventurous guy and had really fallen in love with snowmobiling because it was the one way he could still get out into the forest and explore around in winter and, you know, experience that. 
To fight Paulus's bill, the group met and formed the Mount Jefferson Snowmobile Club, and many of them would also play roles in the larger Oregon State Snowmobile Association. And they were successful in defeating the bills to limit snowmobiling multiple times throughout the 1970s, in fact. But in those days, it was still pretty difficult to get a snowmobile into the backcountry. Basically, guys would just park their trailers alongside the highways in places where people, you know, put chains on their cars. Not the best thing in the world. So they actually initiated the idea of the snowpark concept that exists today. So where the Oregon Department of Transportation plows out parking areas and you support it by buying a snowpark pass. They originated this idea and really pushed for it. While they're in the process of building one of these first snow parks with these new funds in 1976 and 77, Ray Benson tragically passed away. But because of all of his work on the issue, they named that snow park for him. Over the years, the mission of snow parks has greatly expanded, and there's no better place to see it in action than at Ray Benson. It's still a big snowmobile destination, but now it has fantastic ski and snowshoe trails as well. And Gene Benson, his son, said his dad would be thrilled with how many people come up there and enjoy that area. The Mount Jefferson Snowmobile Club still does a lot of the work up there. They actually built and installed the warming hut in the parking lot right now themselves. They groom snowmobile trails up there, and they pushed to expand the parking lot in the 1990s. Historically, there was some friction between snowmobilers and the skiers that later showed up, but over the years, groups like the Willamette chapter of the Oregon Nordic Club um, established the north and south loops so that each group has its own pathways. The snowmobilers kind of have their network of trails. The skiers and snowshoers have their network of trails. And everybody gets along. You know, the two groups built some of the warming huts together. And that's made a big difference in helping these two, you know, fairly different styles of recreation coexist in this one place. So it's pretty wild to think that from this humble, interesting beginning, the snowpark idea has spawned an entire network across the state that supports everything from sledding with kids to skiing to snowmobiling, even dog sledding in some places. Snowparks are a cool part of Oregon winter, and people like Ray Benson are the ones we have to thank for getting it started. Yeah, it's hard to kind of imagine, you know, heading out into the wilderness in the in the winter without them. Yeah, no doubt. I am sort of curious, like without this, I wonder what would have eventually developed. I mean, all you had was, you know, big ski resorts. Yeah, commercial, you know, commercial destinations. And those they're so much more expensive than, you know, snow parks. They're 25 bucks a year and you get access to this tons and tons of terrain that you wouldn't have otherwise. It seems like the perfect Oregon solution. Yeah. One follow-up note is that like a lot of places, none of these recreational facilities would be possible without volunteers. At Ray Benson, the Mount Jefferson Snowmobile Club, the Willamette chapter of the Oregon Nordic Club, and the Cascade Volunteers all put in a ton of hours making Ray Benson and other places what they are today. So consider volunteering time, donating money, and materials where you can to help out all these groups in their efforts. Yeah, you know, it can be really easy to take places like this for granted. You know, you show up and there's amazing trail markers. You know, there's uh, firewood stocked at each shelter and you're just kind of taking for granted. Yeah, that should be here. But somebody's doing that. Like somebody's putting in the work during the summer or the early winter to make that happen. And if you use them all the time, you know, it's, it's definitely worthwhile to donate some of your time, money or whatever you can give. All right, that's about all the time we have for today on the Explore Oregon podcast. We hope we stoke the fires for your future outdoor adventures. You can find previous episodes at statesmanjournal.com slash explore or your favorite podcast outlet. Thanks for listening.
We'd like to thank our sponsor, the American Forest Resource Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. For the environment, for our economy, and for our future. Learn more at amforest.org.